I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, Hawkeye fans, for another edition of the Hawkeye Nation Mailbag Podcast. I am publisher of Hawkeye Nation, Rob Howe, and we are on, uh, I believe it's Wednesday, April, the tw- I know it's Wednesday, <laughs> I believe it's April the 29th. Uh, we've got one more day left in the month. We made it through April, April during this uh, very unusual time in the world with the pandemic, and uh, everybody Take a bow, applaud yourselves for uh, making it through this, and uh, we'll see what May brings us. We do know that it'll bring us uh, another month of no face-to-face incru- uh, recruiting. The dead period was extended through the end of May, so uh, a big month for you know not only uh, co- well specifically co- Iowa football coaches, uh, also basketball and other sports that can get out on the road in May, but uh, May's a huge month normally for recruiting uh, when the coaches can get out to schools and uh, meet with players, meet with coaches, meet with, you know, I I know Reese Morgan and we have a question about Reese Morgan uh, on the podcast today, but, you know, and I think most of the Iowa coaches do this. They, They try to, you know, talk to whoever they can, people in the community, teachers, janitors, whoever they can to find out as much as they can about recruits. And all of those things are off the table. Uh, Iowa has done well, 13 verbal commitments so far in the uh, 2021 recruiting class. And we'll get into that a little bit more here uh, via your questions. But uh, let's jump right in uh, with Facebook questions today. And then we also have Twitter and the Hawkeye Nation message boards. Uh, It's about 11 a.m. on uh, Wednesday, April the 29th, and uh, we have a Zoom press conference with Iowa football strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle at noon, so I need to get through these here. Um, I don't think we have a ton of questions today, so that should not be an issue to get through these questions uh, within the next 45 or 50 minutes so I can set up for the Chris Doyle uh, Zoomer. But uh, let's jump in here with Timothy Downing on our Hawkeye Nation Facebook page. hop on there. We, we publish a lot of stuff on that Facebook page. If you're a Facebooker, uh, please give us a like, follow uh, at Hawkeye Nation. 
uh, on Facebook. But Timothy Downing asked, have you talked with any football coaches, players about how COVID social distancing is affecting their summer workouts? Are they able to use facilities? I understand no spring games, spring practice, but what else is affected and how are, have they adapted? Interesting you should ask that, Timothy, because as I said, we will have Coach Doyle on a Zoom press conference and we'll get a little bit more insight into that. We have talked to Coach Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, a few times and they, you know, with the exception of about, oh, 18, 15 to 18 athletes that both either live locally or decided to stay in Iowa City, like it's Amir Smith, Marset, uh, and Spencer Petrus, uh, most of these guys are home, at, you know, and they're you know, whatever they have at their homes are what they're using. And as we've seen around the country, different states have different rules about social distancing and, and uh, you know, quarantine rules about what you can use. But for the most part, it's pretty standard that you can't get into high schools. You can't get into, um, you know, training facilities, things like that. So most of these players have developed their own training systems with the help of coach Doyle and his staff and whatever, whatever resources they have available to them in talking to Christian Welch, not a current athlete, but one who uh, signed a free agent contract, undrafted free agent contract with the Baltimore Ravens this past weekend, linebacker who just graduated from Iowa. He was running at his house in Wisconsin and chopping wood and doing whatever he could to kind of, and I talked to Aaron Campman about this on our Hawkeye History podcast a few weeks ago. You know, when there was a lockout in the NFL, you just kind of create things, whether it be tire rolling or like Christian Waltz did, you know, cutting wood or doing, you know, just chores around the house that are, you know, somewhat strenuous. But I think and we'll hear more about this, Tim, Timmy, when we um, get Coach Doyle. But it's basically just for, you know, an overarching uh, picture of what's going on. It depends on where the player lives and what he has access to for training. And then Coach Doyle and his staff um, design something around what they have available. Available, And that could just be something sim simple as push-ups, sit-ups, uh, some type of running hills, whatever. Uh, and whatever the position is, they try to design it for each of those players. So when that ends, we don't know. Uh, you got to figure that takes them at least through May. Uh, at the at the minimum before they get, get back to campus in June. And I think that would be ambitious. You're probably looking at the next two months of them continuing to do that. And then they also work in a diet around that and try to, you know, at least guide them as much as possible, whether a kid's home and he goes into the pantry and sees a bag of potato chips or something like that. There's really nothing the Iowa coaches can do. They can only do so much with the, the contact that they have with them. And I believe they have two or three hours a week uh, contact with players so they have enough time to get with each one or meet with each one if they have questions the the guys that are locally the 15 to 20 18 something in there that are locally uh, living right now around the campus they can make appointments to go over to Iowa's football facility and pick up um, uh, nutritional needs, food, shakes, you know, energy bars, energy drinks, whatever, and any of that stuff cannot train in the Iowa football facility though. So hopefully that answers your question, Timmy, and I appreciate you asking it. John Richardson on the Facebook page asked, with all the offensive linemen Iowa and Kirk Ferentz have put into the league, there seems to be a theme. 
The offensive tackles are always highly regarded by the NFL, but often labeled as guard in the draft, even though they played tackle in college. I've got to extend this here. Scherf won the Outland Trophy, transitioned to guard. Yonda, of course, I've heard it tossed around about worse. Do you think it's related to the style of offense at Iowa or more a player-by-player thing? I think it's probably a little bit of both, if I can ride the fence on your question, John. I think zone blocking certainly plays into it, but there are, uh, there are plenty of NFL teams that use zone blocking as well. Um, it's, it's really more, I think, the individual player by player. I think Wirfs is a tackle in the league, um, but it's also nice to have a guy who's athletic like that that you can kick inside and gives you like Scherf is doing on the inside or Yonda. But you look at a guy like Riley Reef. He was a guy that played tackle at Iowa and stayed at tackle. Um, Robert Gallery kicked inside. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys that have played tackle. Balaga stayed at tackle. So I think maybe that narrative is a little bit overused that, um, you know, that the Iowa tackles are, are asked to kick in. I think the Scherf one kind of magnifies it, and so does Robert Gallery. Those ones magnify it a little bit more because those guys were so good and both won out on trophies and both were kicked inside the guard. It just happens. I think it, it but it's on a player to player basis. And I think Worf's going to, is going to get every opportunity to play tackle. And I would say the same thing for Alaric Jackson when he comes out next year. Um, hopefully that answered your question, John. And, and yes, I would, I would lean to it being more of a player by player uh, situation. Max McCurdy on the, HN Facebook page asks, what are the percentages you see for Fedone committing Nebraska and Iowa? He's obviously a talented player. Look at his offer list. What pass tight end does he remind you of? Um, Reminds me a little bit of TJ Hawkinson in his athleticism. Uh, TJ played more of a wide receiver in high school, as did Sam Laporta. Um, But but TJ, or um, excuse me, Thomas, uh, who, who attends Council Bluffs Lewis Central, uh, who Iowa got Logan Jones out of this past recruiting class in 2020. Thomas Fedone is one of the highest ranked tight ends in the country and Iowa and Nebraska are two of his um, main schools that he's looking at, but he has offers from schools all over the country, including Alabama, LSU, SEC school. So he obviously can play anywhere, uh, but he's, you know, Noah Fan, any of the uh, recent tight ends you can think of that have come through Iowa that are athletic is Thomas Fedone. He's going to have to, um, like most guys that, that, you know, make the jump from high school to college, he's going to have to get stronger, become more proficient in the blocking game. But he's got all the skills in terms of being athletic, being able to run, get down the seam, good hands, just a really well-rounded tight end. And then to answer your first part of your question, Last, uh, Nebraska or Iowa, I think he grew up as a Nebraska fan, um, but there is momentum for him to go to Iowa just in terms of what Iowa's tight end tradition has been. But in talking to – and I haven't talked to Thomas since January, I believe, but I'm trying to get in touch with him for for an update because he recently worked out with Noah Fant, and I'd like to do something on that and just basically on how recruiting has gone for him during this pandemic. I haven't talked to him, but. uh, he, when I last spoke with him, he did make reference to how many tight ends Iowa has on its roster and the depth chart and the room and, and what he's going to go into competition wise. He won't face as much of that if he went to Nebraska. Um, Keegan Johnson, who's an athletic um, wide receiver, could 
wide receiver type who's also um, in the Omaha Council Bluffs area. He's on the Nebraska side of the river. But uh, he's another guy that has Iowa amongst his final three, Nebraska, Kansas State, Iowa. Um, and those two are really tight, and I could see them playing together. But Fedon is kind of – interacted with recent Iowa recruits or guys looking at Iowa. Brody Brecht is another guy who's looking at Iowa State and Iowa Ankeny wide receiver. And these guys have all kind of um, been interacting on social media. So it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how things shake out with these guys. I I don't know if 50-50 is too – I would give a little bit of a lean towards Nebraska. That's just because that's where he grew up and – there's more of an opportunity to play right away there. But I also think he's not a kid that shies away from competition. So Iowa is certainly in the picture. I think it's pretty close, 55-45, something like that. I think if I were to put percentages on it, it's pretty close between those two. And then naturally, if things open up again in recruiting where he can get out and take visits, I mean, there's a chance he goes to, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, somewhere like that and falls in love with it and leaves the area. But I think right now, Iowa and Nebraska are probably – um, really high on his list. Thank you for the for the question, Matt. Uh, Seth Weifenbach, Weifenbach, Weifenbach. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Seth. What range in national ranking do you expect the 2021 football recruiting class to end up at? Currently, about sixth nationally or third in the Big Ten. What's your projection? A lot of those rankings, Seth, are based on uh, volume of of commitments that you have. And that's pushing Iowa up in addition to Iowa also having four-star kids. But um, so I, I think there's it, it's, it, it's more likely to drop from where it is than to stay or move up from there, um, just based on volume and other schools get, catching up with commitments. Uh, Iowa currently has, uh, let's see, four stars. David Davikov, uh, who recently committed, who committed on Monday, the um, – Offensive lineman from Illinois. He's a four-star. Um, Justice Sullivan, the linebacker from Eden Prairie, uh, son of Jake Sullivan, former Iowa State basketball player, is a four-star. And then Connor Colby, who I think gets really overlooked because he committed so early to this class, but he may be the best player in this class. Connor Colby, the offensive lineman from Cedar Rapids Kennedy. So four, so three four-stars in this class, but some really good three-stars as well. And yes, um, Rivals currently right now, as I click on it, has Iowa ranked seventh nationally and I believe third in the Big Ten. Let me pull up the overall rankings. Yes, Ohio State is number one, Michigan is number five, and Iowa is seventh. Uh, Minnesota is 10th. They also have 13 verbal commitments. Wisconsin is 14th at 10 verbal commitments. Penn State is 15 at eight verbal commitments. I would expect Penn State to move up and maybe Iowa come back a little bit. Um, but I think you're looking at a top 25 class no matter how things shake out. And if you're top five Big Ten, top 25 nationally, you're in really good shape. And then aside from that, I really like the kids that are in this class. And I look more at their offer lists than when I look at, um, you know, the rankings, the class rankings and what rivals in 247. I, I respect the guys that do that but I have a little bit more faith in coaches that see enough in these guys to offer them, excuse me, offer them scholarships. And and this group, they, it's a really good group in terms of an, from an offer list perspective. And you go down the list, like Bo Stevens, he's a three-star, 
But he had, I mean, his offer list was impressive. He's the offensive lineman from Blue Springs, Missouri, that committed last week um, to Iowa. I mean, he has offers from LSU and Michigan, uh, Texas A&M, some really good offer. So that's a re- even though he's a three-star, that's a really good offer list and one that, you know, I, I think may not get re- – even Max Llewellyn, the defensive end from Urbandale, had a Penn State offer. Um, you know, Jeff Bowie, um, the defensive end from uh, West Branch, had Nebraska, had Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech. Um, you know, so just really what I like about this class, one of the things I really like about this class is – I was beating not only um, comparable power five programs in terms of, you know, the ability to recruit, but they're also beating schools that traditionally beat them more often than not for recruits. So really, really, that's really the thing that has impressed me so much about this class so far. So I think you're probably looking, um, uh, I would say top 20 nationally and somewhere around four uh, in the Big Ten, four or five in the Big Ten, maybe. Most likely you're going to get Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State with classes ranked. At, they're usually annually the top three ranked recruiting classes uh, nationally from the Big Ten. And then if you can get up into that four or five range, that's really good. And that's kind of where I would expect Iowa to end up. If they can get higher, you know, stay up with Michigan and um, probably not Ohio State, but Michigan and Penn State, all the better. Thanks for the question, Seth. Uh, Zach Zexter on the Hawkeye Nation Facebook page. Another listener asked about coaches that you sports hate. You didn't mention D'Antonio nor Frost. Do they not infuriate you like they do so many Iowa fans, especially D'Antonio? Maybe you didn't mention him since he's gone. Just curious. Your perspective on Fleck was interesting to me, too, by the way. Thanks. So, yeah, Zach. Um, yeah, I guess maybe if Frost had some more success, um, he would get under my skin a little bit more. I don't like some of the things that he does throwing players under the bus. Uh, I think that's really a slippery slope and a dangerous approach when you're trying to build a culture in your program. Uh, you almost put a, a, a me versus them, an I versus them, set up that type of a di- – um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dynamic, and you don't want that. Um, and I think with Fleck, he is a player's coach. He takes responsibility, like Coach Ferentz. Um, you know, they, they stick up for their players. They, they, they're not above criticizing their players, but they don't throw the blame at their players and throw them under the bus. And that's what you get from Frost. I guess, as I said, maybe when he has more success, if he has more su- success, it will bug me a little bit more, um, the, the things that he does. But right now, to be perfectly honest with you, Nebraska is such a non-factor right now that it really isn't something that I think about. I think about more teams that I was competing with for championships and you're right about D'Antonio. I, you know, don't have a lot of respect for him. I respect the way he built his program, but the way he went out and some of the things and stories that uh, of the way he recruited things, he let go in his program, the kinds of um, characters that he were, he was bringing into East Lansing uh, I, I, early in his career, I had respect for the way that he built that program up. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have any respect for him and don't really care for him, but he's gone. So I don't really think about him much anymore either, but thank you for the question, Zach. And, and please 
feel free to ask again, all you guys, I enjoy the questions and, and appreciate you asking. So any week you want to jump in here, I'd be happy to answer what I can as best I can. Kenneth Anderson, our last question on the Facebook page. If football is played this fall, do you think it will be in empty stands or will they limit capacity? Yeah, that's a really good question. I wish I had an answer for you, Kenneth. Anything that I would throw out there is probably guessing. Um, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. The only, I, I, I like to speak on this more from a perspective of what I've heard from Kirk Ferentz, who's talked to Chris Doyle, who again, we'll talk to here uh, in a little bit and have information on the site from him about this as well. Uh, and then Gary Barta, there are so many models that these guys are talking about daily, weekly, about what could happen here. Um, I certainly think they're going to do everything they can to play games as soon as they can. And if that means empty stadiums or limited capacity, I certainly think that's a possibility, especially if it's sooner rather than later that they play, say they bring it back at the end of September, October, uh, even earlier than that, if they can find things to fall into place and there's testing uh, for the virus and there's so many unknowns that could happen, but I, we asked coach Ferentz about this and he's obviously talking to, to, to Gary Barta and other people that are in the know. Uh, and it's kind of, those guys are, you know, in, in those guys have the ability to um, or included in decision-making and also what decisions are being made and modeled a lot of models going on right now. I know Bob Bowlesby, the former Iowa athletic director, now the commissioner of the Big 12, said there could be a split season where they play maybe uh, mid-September to the end of October or something like that, and then come back and finish the season in the spring based on the virus returning back in November and December and January and us needing to, you know, be conscious of that again, but the social distancing is not going to go away. I can't see 70,000 people in Kinnick anytime soon sitting next to each other uh, watching a football game. So I think at the very least, you're going to have limited capacity and then it's all going to come down to testing. You're going to have to be able to test people or, or know before they get into the stands whether or not they're carrying the virus. And I just don't know when that's going to happen. So not really answering your question with any definitive answer, Kenneth, but um, just kind of throwing out some thoughts there of what I've seen. And I, I just think there are so many possibilities of how this thing is going to proceed. We just kind of have to take it day to day and week to week and month to month and see how things go. I mean, you're hearing, you know, Major League Baseball and basketball trying to come up with ways to get their seasons in. And it seems like every time there's some advancement there or some discussion about maybe getting back, the, you know, scientists and doctors kind of pull things back and say, you know, not so fast. So I just think we're still, as much as we want live sports to come back, I just think it's going to be a while before, before we really know how that they are going to return and then in what capacity they're going to return. So thanks again for the question, Kenneth. And that wraps up our Facebook questions. Quite a few today. That took us about 20 minutes into the pod. So appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Let's go to, let's go to Twitter next and then we'll hit the message boards after that. Um, Adam at Liberty Hawkeye asked on April 23rd. When was that? Today's the 27th. He must have asked over the weekend. Um, and, uh, I, I don't think I got this in on the last podcast, Adam. So 
um, this may have come like the day, what's today, the 20th. So this, you asked this the day after the last podcast, but um, I will answer this and I appreciate you asking. Adam, at Liberty Hawkeye, Tyler Barnes recently said that O-line is the focus for this class with three verbals there. Now four, since you asked your question, Adam, do you think Iowa signs five? David Koff preferred, and David Koff is now in the fold, and Iowa has four. Um, let's look at that from, you know, from Jennings Dunker to Connor Colby to Bo Stevens and David David Koff, four really good offensive linemen in this class already, Adam. And, yes, I could see them adding. Um, you mentioned all and Ms. Linsky from the center from Florida. Do they take six? Possibly. Um, they just took a bunch of offensive linemen, what, two recruiting classes ago, or last recruiting class, I guess. But Ezra Miller, unfortunately, had to uh, retire from football because of his back. And I think Iowa was still looking to supplement the offensive line. Six may be a stretch, um, but I know they like Joe Alt a ton, uh, John Alt's son out of Minnesota, and then Mike Mislinski, uh, the center out of uh, – out of Florida, who's kind of blowing up. He's from the Tampa area, uh, who's got a lot of offers, uh, as well as some of the other guys they've got. I think they probably would consider taking six if they got the right six. I think we could see a heavy offensive line wide receiver class uh, this year for Iowa. And it's hard to know. They're at 13 verbals now. It's hard to know at this point how many they'll get to. Um, you know, it's it's been tw at least 20 recruits, I think, going back to the 2010 class, maybe. So it's pretty standard that I was bringing in at least 20. So, and I think it'll probably creep up into the 22 to 24, 25 range even. So that's still quite a bit of room that's left in this class. So I think they would have no problem going heavy offensive line and taking five, maybe six guys if the right guys were available. And I appreciate that question, Adam, and I'm glad I saw it, even though you asked it last week. And if anybody else wants to do that during the week, they're like, hey, I missed the Rob's, you know, HN Mailbag podcast. Oh, damn. And then you forget each week. If you want to hashtag the – use the hashtag, <clears throat> excuse me, HN Mail, send it whenever you want. I hit that hashtag, and then I, I pop these up, and I can, ask, I can answer them whenever – the following podcast is if you miss out. So I appreciate Adam doing that. Uh, Big Mike, I'm Bigger Mike, at I'm Bigger Mike. Mike, is there a bigger Mike, though? You're, you're a bigger Mike than, uh, I, you know, another Mike, but is there another Mike that's bigger than you? Um, you, you don't have to answer that. Um, I'm just being silly. Um, with, recent, <clears throat> with the recent signings for the 2021 class, did this improve Iowa's chances of landing a commitment from Thomas Fedone? Another Fedone question. He is definitely the apple of a lot of fans' eyes, and rightfully so. He is a, uh, a top tight end prospect and, and one in state that you would like to keep. I, it can't hurt, Mike. Um, you know, as I was talking about earlier, you know, when answering another question, these guys like to play with other really good prospects to have a chance to win. And Thomas interacts with a lot of guys that have committed to Iowa and other guys that are considering Iowa, you know, like Keegan Johnson, like Brody Brecht. Um, you know, if, if another one or two of those guys commits, I think that even raises the chances for him even more. Iowa just needs to convince him that he can come in. And even though there's a lot of really good players at his position and in, his, in that tight end room at Iowa, 
if he's good enough, he can get in there and compete and play early and not worry about going to a place where it looks like there's an easier or less crowded path to playing time like maybe he would find at Nebraska um, or somewhere else. Um, the bottom line is, you know, if you come to Iowa, you have a chance to win football. You don't know that yet at Nebraska. You're playing, you're going more, uh, you know, on hope than proven results so far with Scott Frost. So we'll have to see how it plays out. And, you know, um, again, the unknowns with recruiting when, you know, the dead period will end and face-to-face -face recruiting and guys can visit campus again and things like that. We just don't know. But um, I think Iowa certainly has a lot of momentum right now in recruiting with getting four prospects to commit in the last week and five total during the pandemic um, and has a really, you know, has a top 10 ranked recruiting class right now. I think that's getting a attention of a lot of people. And I would imagine Thomas Fedone, Fedone is one of the people that uh, Iowa has atten the attention of. Uh, Dorman at Dorman4082 on Twitter asked, other than pregame warmups, does Coach Doyle have any other in-game responsibilities? Um, cheerleader? Um, if you watch him on the sidelines, he's in there. You know, he is um, as, as good as he is at strength and conditioning. He, he's also kind of a, a, a football savant. He, he loves the game, understands the game, could probably coach the game. Not probably. He could coach the game. Uh, if his love wasn't in strength and conditioning. And uh, I watch him. He, he helps special teams. He gives pointers out here and there. He's not a position coach. He's not a guy that's going to stick his nose in the way of a position coach or a coordinator. But he certainly shares his thoughts on the sidelines and has input. Um, and he trains all these guys. So he knows, even from a strength and conditioning standpoint, if they're not doing something technically sound, he can, you know, he can point that out. So I think he has more than just, um, you know, the responsibilities in, in the weight room. He certainly is a bigger presence than that overall in the program. And thank you for the question. And again, we will get um, some insight from Coach Doyle uh, later today. Uh, Ruben Aragon, when you see this, what do you think it means? Uh, what am I seeing? Uh, and Ruben Aragon is at Iowa City Native. All right, he's got a tweet here from another user that Arlen Bruce tweets at Brody Brecht. All right, teammates, teammate with a smile and one of those hmm type emojis. I think I've got that emoji right. I'm old and sometimes get lost on these. And it's it's a it's a tweet of Brody Brecht, which I retweeted running. Uh, a 40-yard dash in 4.45 seconds at 6'4", about 200 pounds. Uh, really good athlete, Brody Brecht. Good in uh, high jump and other track. Um, let's see here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
And then there's also another tweet from ISU Coach Alert that Tyson Veet, who's a member of the Iowa State staff, has unfollowed Arlen Bruce and Brody Brecht. Um, I mean, you can look into it as it being something, or you can look at it into being <laughs> nothing. It seems like it's something, um, Ruben. And, um, you know, I think it would be uh, wise to, you know, look at Brody as somebody who's down to Iowa and Iowa state. And he really likes the Iowa program and has, he really likes Iowa state too. Um, and uh, it, he's down to those two programs, but you know, that's again, kind of ties into what I've talked about in this podcast. A lot of recruiting is networking and getting guys that are committed to your program, reaching out to guys that are targets of your program and trying to encourage them to come and join them and win football games. And I think Iowa has plenty of guys out there doing that now. Even Deuce Hogan, who's a quarterback commitment in the 2020 class, is reaching out to 2021 commitments or uncommitted players and commitments and trying to network with them. So I think Iowa does a good job of getting players to help them recruit. And obviously Arlen Bruce is trying to excuse me, reach out to Brody Brecht and get him to join him in Iowa City. And uh, about the Iowa coach, Iowa State coach unfollowing those guys, I don't know. I, you guys would know better than me. I'm not really technically savvy in terms of uh, knowing whether that's legit because I don't see uh, – I don't know if that's – yeah. Your guess is as good as mine. You, probably, you guys probably know better that – if this is actually that Tyson V did unfollow Brody Brecht, but time will tell and we'll see. I would not be surprised at all to see Brody Brecht in the black and gold. In fact, I think I was the favorite here, but I would, uh, I would caution reading too much in the social media posts because I've seen those go uh, screwy uh, in the past. So um, that's that. And are you the last one to ask a question on here, Ruben? Nope. I've got Lincoln. Lincoln Bayo, uh, Lincoln underscore Bay at Lincoln underscore Bayo on Twitter. Are the benefits afforded, afforded to scholarship athletes aside from paid for education that walk-ons don't receive? I got to thinking about this with potential basketball transfers in the unique situation where one or both of the McCaffrey's could be a walk-on in future years. Yeah, I definitely think that's a, a possibility, Lincoln. It's something that Iowa coach Fran McCaffrey has in the, you know, kind of has in his toolbox that he knows he can recruit guys and put his sons, one or both of them, uh, take them off scholarship for the rest of their careers or a portion of their careers, uh, but not something he has to do. If the right fit, the right guy for the Iowa basketball culture is there, whether it be transfer, transfer or recruit, I don't think Fran would hesitate to do that. He did that with Connor initially when he signed Jack Nunji. And then there was, I, there was another defection. I can't remember. Um, there's so much turnover in college basketball, but then Connor ended up going on scholarship anyway. But um, so, yeah, I, I don't think, and if you, if you're talking about, um, you know, paid education, and I know this is probably what you mean is, you know, room and board and things like that. Um, that's really, but walk-ons get a lot more now than they used to get. They get training table, um, you know, they get to travel with the team, all that stuff. They get most of the stuff, most of the benefits that 
uh, scholarship athletes get, walk-ons also receive, again, you know, books, educate, you know, class, room and board, things like that. So it, it can be expensive, but um, with the, again, if the right situation came along, I think I will be more than willing, Fran McCaffrey would be more than willing to, to put uh, either or both of his sons as walk-ons and, and put another player on scholarship if it was there. Got another question from somebody who did not use the HN Mailbag podcast. Uh, yeah, just Jeff again at Jeff Meyer. Jeff, the hashtag is just HN Mail, not hashtag HN Mailbag. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, and I appreciate the question uh, and you getting this in here. But I, I did remember that you had asked and wanted to go back and grab this. So just a, hashtag HN Mail. You don't have to include back. Uh, in your quest, and, and I won't miss it in case uh, I, I don't see this in the future. Uh, but Jeff asks, it's Wednesday. This is the only time I can write my HN, hashtag HN mailbag question. With the last two football verbal commitments, is the 21 class on track to be the best one? And I assume you're meaning uh, the best one in the Kirk Ferentz era. And uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly has a possibility of doing that. Uh, let's see, 2005 was the highest ranked recruit recruiting class in the Kirk Ferentz era, and that ended up being 11. I think this class may be hard-pressed to get to 11, just as I talked about earlier in this podcast. Right now, some of that ranking is is baked into that Iowa has 13 verbal commitments, which is one of the higher uh, totals uh, in the Big Ten and in the country right now. So we'll have to keep an eye on a school like Penn State, who only has eight verbal commitments. It's five behind Iowa right now who it adds to its class and if that pushes it up. but And then likewise with schools around the country. But if you're looking for a reference point, 2005 Iowa class was ranked 11th nationally. And that class was, let's see what it was in the Big Ten. Uh, Big Ten, well, Nebraska wasn't in the Big Ten then, but Michigan was sixth, sixth. So Iowa was second in the Big Ten that season, 12th was Ohio State. So Iowa was one spot. Ohio State is recruiting at a higher level right now. I would not expect Iowa's class to be ranked higher than Ohio State's and probably not Michigan's and probably not Penn State's either at the end of the day. Um, So Iowa being 11, that may be a push. And I'm talking about rivals too uh, right now. That's the rankings that I'm I'm referring to. But that class, if you remember, was Tony Moyaki and Ryan Bain and Dan Doring, Dace Richardson, who else was in that class? Eubanks, Yonda was in that class kind of as an afterthought, Sean Green, Pat Anger, um, you know, Trey Strauss, Alex Canellis, uh, pretty loaded class. And I know a lot of people bang on that class as one that hasn't worked out or didn't work out. I think it worked out all right. Moaki, Moaki was, a, was a really good player when he was healthy. Um, Eubanks um, was a good player. Sean Green, obviously, Anger, um, you know, Trey Strauss, Kyle Callaway, there were good players in that class. Some of the marquee names, Jake Christensen, Dan Doring, didn't work out. Um, but there were there was plenty of firepower in that class that helped Iowa win plenty of football games in 2008 and 2009. So uh, that is that question, and I appreciate you asking it, Jeff. Let's scoot over to the Hawkeye Naces message boards. We're at um, about 35 minutes in here. I want to get through the rest of these questions before I have to sign off. Uh, we are on, what board are we on here? We are on the basketball board. It looks like we only have one question. 
Do we have a real good shot at Jalen Gibson? Thank you. And that's from Hawks. Hawkeye's Gone Wild, who helped remind me last week that uh, there was a mailbag podcast. Uh, I kind of talked about this a little bit in the thread, Wild, on our message board here that uh, Die Hard, Die Hard Hawk posted about Jalen Gibson. Um, and this ties into the question I got earlier about, um, about uh, you know, the possibility of, of Connor or, and or Patrick walking on. I think if they were able to get somebody like Jalen Gibson, uh, who's a big man out of uh, North Carolina in the 2020 class who was committed to Wake Forest, recently decommitted when Danny Manning was let go. Um, I think Iowa has a chance. He likes Iowa. Um, I think he's probably more of a stretch four than, a, you know, your traditional back-to-the-basket type big man. Um, and Jeff Borzillo uh, tweeted um, that uh, Jalen Gibson decommitted from Wake Forest today, and he posted that on Monday, I believe. Heard from Maryland, Iowa, Louisville, South Florida, Houston, Syracuse, UNC, Wilmington, Providence, Miami. So good competition there for Iowa. I think Louisville would probably be tough to beat Maryland as well. I think the one of the sticking points here in, in Jalen Gibson Wild is a couple things. One, but one of the main ones is location. He's not visited Iowa before, and he picked Wake Forest because it was close to home in addition to liking Danny Manning. So I think location for Iowa, distance from home, is certainly a factor, a hurdle that Fran McCaffrey would have to get over. Then the other hurdle is just getting him on campus to to show him that this is a place that he could fit into the culture, a program that could benefit him, a program that he could benefit. Um, and as we've talked about throughout this podcast and other podcasts before, with the dead period and no face-to-face -face recruiting through the end of May, when do you get him on campus? And does that open up again in June? Does it open up again in July? When he, can he get to campus? Um, and you know, is it going to be easier for schools closer to home to make more of a impression on him being, you know, that he obviously showed the first time around um, that, uh, that he wanted to be closer to home. So interesting to see what happens there. And I would also um, predict that more schools will get involved here. And it looks like Hawk F. N-N-T-N. I don't know what that stands for, if that's an acronym for something or what, but uh, it looks like, let's see. I don't know if this is a question or a response. You'd think that the pitch right there, uh, he's, he's kind of answering uh, Wild's question about uh, what Iowa has to sell. Iowa has a ton to sell right now, and I think that would uh, be attractive. Um, to Gibson, but again, I think there are some hurdles that Iowa has to clear before it gets uh, an opportunity. And plus, Iowa has a loaded roster. Who knows if the kid wants to come in and sit and wait his turn? He may see an easier path to playing time elsewhere. So I appreciate that question, Wild. Um, and we will now move to the Hawkeye Nation football forum before we wrap this puppy up and I get ready for the Chris Doyle uh, Zoom teleconference. I'll probably have to put a hat on because I do videos. <laughs> I do the video stream on that one. And uh, I'm in sweatpants and a t-shirt here and have not done much to get myself ready for today. But uh, let's zoom through here. 
uh, Hawk, Hawkeye's gone wild. Uh, also with a question on the football board. I appreciate your questions. It's always wild. Uh, with Reese Morgan retiring two years ago, who has filled that spot that found a diamond in the rough in the state of Iowa? Yeah, I think uh, it'd be a lot to ask one guy uh, to be able to replace what Reese Morgan did. He was just, I want to say one of a kind, but one of the only of his kind, uh, which is a guy who really had an eye for talent and also a tremendous in-state network that he built up over, you know, over 20 years of, from being a high school coach in the state to moving on to the Iowa staff about 20 years ago. So he really, and he had a network of people that knew what he was after. Um, so I was kind of rebuilding that up. Um, but Coach Jay Neiman, who is also uh, somebody who knows the state really well, the, the father of uh, Ben and Nick Neiman, linebackers at Iowa. Ben just won a Super Bowl uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I, I think Jay has, has a good relationship with in-state coaches uh, and people that know football. So I think that helps him. And I think, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, he's building that up. And then LeVar Woods has a, has a, has a long history with in-state uh, recruiting. And then just guys on the Iowa staff, Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, Seth Wallace, um, a lot of guys that uh, have connections in-state. I think Iowa does pretty well. It's going to miss Reese maybe for some of those diamonds in the rough that you're talking about. Um, if you look at the guys that Iowa has landed in this 2021 class, none of those guys are diamond in the roughs. I think you may see more of those as from a walk-on perspective. Uh, I think Cooper Dijon could probably fit into that category, but most of these guys um, or all the other guys that Iowa's gotten from in-state, Iowa beat other Power 5 schools for. So you're not seeing the, you know, the, the Nate Myers or um, – you know, other guys that have gone under the radar, uh, the list goes, and Josie Jewell, the list goes on and on from Reese Morgan. But uh, I think Iowa will be in okay. It just may attack the thing from a different angle. Um, and uh, I still think they'll be able to uncover uh, guys with the walk-on, you know, with its walk-on program as well. So appreciate uh, appreciate the question, Wild, on the football. Hawk, or Hawk 90. Uh, your opinion on this 2021 recruiting class, if it is headed toward being Ferentz's best class. Uh, Hawk90, I addressed this earlier in the podcast, had a similar question from one of the other platforms that I get questions from. Uh, yeah, uh, the 2005 class was ranked 11th. This one is currently 7th. I do expect it to probably fall back into the 15 to 25 range. Uh, probably fourth, fifth in the Big Ten eventually when all is said and done. Still a very good class, and I just like, as I said earlier, the players they got, they beat other Power Five schools for. Other, other coaches are seeing the talent uh, that's in this class, addressing positions of need, uh, all those things that you look for beyond star ranking. I think Iowa's doing a really good job with in this class. Appreciate the question, Hawk90. Um, Holmes. Uh, frequent contributor to the Mailbag Podcast. Appreciate his questions. Uh, with this run of recent commitments, Iowa is currently tied for third most committed recruits in the country with 13 and ranked by at least one service as the top six class for whatever that's worth. OSU leads with 17 and North Carolina has 14. Without going back and comparing past years, this strikes me as an unusually large number 
for Iowa this early in the process. What do you attribute this to? Do you think this will be the new normal for Iowa, or is it an anomaly? Last, this seems to like a good thing for Iowa. Would you agree? Uh, it's always good to get guys in the, on the bus as, as early as possible. Um, and then I, I have confidence in this Iowa staff's ability to continue building those relationships with guys who have verbally committed and then taking that through to the signing day in December. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an it's anomaly. It, it's a little unusual to have this many this early. But Iowa usually gets this, you know, usually last year had most of the class wrapped up in the summertime. So they're maybe a month or two ahead of schedule. But a lot of the guys that are in this class are guys that they've been on for a while. Really good in-state year, so that contributes to it. Um, you know, getting the in-state guys, some of your top in-state guys that you've been recruiting for years, uh, that contributes to the high number early. Uh, and then identifying talent. And I think this this – group of coaches is really good at identifying talent and guys that fit in their culture. A lot of these guys, they've been on for a while, guys that have visited previously. Um, I think the, the defensive, the cornerback out of Florida is the only one who hasn't visited. Got, most of these guys have been on campus multiple times already. So, um, and I think maybe, I, I don't think we can completely dismiss the pandemic and guys saying, listen, who knows when recruiting is going to open back up again, what visits I'm going to be able to take you know, when, you know, what, what, how this thing's going to play out. Let me secure my, I love Iowa as it is. I visit there multiple times. I love the coaches. I think they, I like the, you know, the vision they have for me. Let's, let's just jump on it and, and accept that scholarship offer before somebody fills it up. And that's part of it too. As that bus fills up and those scholarships get taken, there's a chance you could lose your opportunity there. If you like Iowa enough, you better jump in. So a lot of that, some of its snowball effect, I think it'd be hard to point to just one thing, Holmes, as the reason why they're at 13 right now. I don't know if we can expect that annually, but I think the trend that Iowa wraps up most of his class through that, you know, the tailgate that happens in June and July, the official visits, and then the tailgate thing that happens at the beginning of July or the end of June, I forget when it is now, and, and wrapping the classes up. I think Iowa does a good job of trying to get everybody most of the class in place before the season starts. I think that's the objective. This year it's happening a little quicker than in the past. And again, so, probably several factors that go into that. Thank you for the question, Holmes. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hawk FNNTN uh, checks in again. I think we got him on the basketball board, or do we have him higher up on this board? I can't remember. I think he was in the basketball board. I'm sorry. Um, couple questions for you, Rob. What will it take to get the team back on campus and facility? As coach said, if they bring back kids before school opens back up. Um, well, the school has to be open. The, the, the Iowa has to, uh, the, the university itself has to allow people back on campus and in the facilities. The, the football program cannot operate on its own. So, um, the, the, you know, Coach, or Coach Harrell, President Harrell, uh, Gary Barta, administrators, they've got to be involved in this decision too. The, the football team can't just say, hey, everybody come back. And I don't know if that's a – I'm not trying to make fun of you or or um, make light of your question, but um, it's got to be a, a campus, a university decision. It can't just be football. Uh, excuse me, and I spoke a little bit earlier about when we can expect the team back. You just don't know. It's got to become a point where um, – in football especially, you've got 100-plus guys with walk-ons in a small area of space, especially if you're going to bring back the, 
practice or be in the weight room. Social distancing is a concern. Yet you pretty much have to have testing. No, not pretty much. You do need to have testing to bring these guys back on campus. You do not want to start a spread uh, in your facility. So um, I would not expect it before July 1st. That's just me spitballing here. I think you're probably looking at a couple months just based on where we're at this in this country in terms of uh, testing being available. Hopefully that picks up. Maybe that, that timeline moves up a little bit. Um, but I think that July 1st is kind of the target date to maybe start the season on time um, if you get them in for a month of uh, strength and conditioning. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. Get them in for a month of strength and conditioning, and then move on to practice, being able to get to the point where they can practice football and hit each other. So, not really any concrete answers for you there, but uh, that's about the best I have on this. I think it's kind of just a wait and see. And testing is the key to this thing. You need testing before you can bring people back together in a group of a hundred or more people. Um, Grady checks in with which Big Ten schools are best positioned to take advantage of the NCAA name image likeness situation. Does it favor universities located in large metro areas like University of Minnesota, Blue Bloods like OSU and Michigan, or do all Big Ten universities have enough wealthy donors to make it fairly equal? I would probably lean towards, uh, I'd probably lean towards the latter. They're Grady. I'm going to be interested to see how they're able to monitor the monitor some of the hijinks that could happen here um, in terms of uh, what these guys are paid from, you know, friends of the program, quote unquote friends. Um, so yeah, this one is going to be interesting to to see how this plays out. Uh, interesting to see how this hand is handled in the SEC and if this becomes the wild, wild west. I'm all for it because I think the players do deserve uh, this uh, ruling and this this benefit. Um, I think the, the NCAA could probably do a better job of just compensating the athletes with more money out of the till rather than doing something like this. But this is the, the direction they want to go. Uh, it would be, I think it'd be better just kind of have a fund uh, put something in trust for these guys so when their playing careers are over, they get a lump sum of money, uh, you know, when they're done playing. Um, I would do that more. I would be more inclined to do that just in terms of being able to monitor that as opposed to the the name image likeness. Uh, this is going to be interesting for sure, but uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities for Iowa guys uh, and gals to be able to benefit from something like this. And it'll be interesting to see uh, if they end up uh, doing advertisements for local car dealerships and restaurants. <laughs> uh, you know, you could have uh, somebody like Alaric Jackson uh, at a local restaurant just, you know, promoting the food. You look at a guy like that or Tristan Wirfs or somebody like that uh, being able to, uh, to do that. Um, so the advertising people can get creative there uh, and come up with ideas. But uh, I don't know is it's so much about areas of the country, because I think most Big Ten universities, especially, um, and, and Power Five schools are pretty well positioned uh, in the places they are to be able to take advantage of this uh, and use it as a recruiting tool. But it's going to be more of how this rule uh, maybe is stretched, if I could use that word, to benefit people and programs and universities and athletes uh, definitely something to keep an eye on here. Cause this is definitely a Pandora's box that has been opened. Uh, and I believe that's the last question. And we got this one in, in about 15 minutes and it's going to give me time to get on with coach Doyle. 
And that'll be a wrap for this week's edition of the Hawkeye Nation Mailbag Podcast for April 29th, 2020. Uh, the next time I will talk to you guys will be in the month of May. Thanks again for all your questions and participation. Uh, this is Rob Howe, Hawkeye Nation publisher, signing off for another week. We'll talk to you guys soon.